If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, and we're going to read a the first chapter of the book of Ruth this morning. <clears throat> Hoping my voice is going to hold out. I I told uh, everybody at my school that we were down to the third string football announcer Friday night. Um, all the people that normally do it were gone, so I had to announce at our football game. And then I probably yelled at the TV too much yesterday, and and so my voice is uh, is a little bit struggling. The Book of Ruth in the Old Testament uh, comes directly after Judges. We're going to begin reading in chapter one, verse one. Here we read, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malan and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab, and the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malan and Chilion died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. And Naomi said unto her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you, as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye might find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept. <coughs> and they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that, ye may, that may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should if I should have an husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay for them for having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother in law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem, and it came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, Is this Naomi? And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. That's a long reading. Um, and it's a story that you're probably familiar with. I'm sure that you've heard the story of Ruth and you're uh, somewhat familiar with it. And so we're going to go through this book. We're going to do it in kind of some big chunks. And we're not going to, you know, 
just really tear apart verses and, and, and take them apart. But we're going to look at the story in general, kind of the big picture of the story, and glean what we can uh, from it and uh, in, in both what it teaches us about God as well as the many practical lessons that we can glean, pun intended, from this book. Uh, if you know the story, you get that joke. <laughs> because there is a lot of things just in a practical way that we can learn from Ruth and from this story. It's a story that shows how God does move in a mysterious way his wonders to perform, as we just sang. It's a, it's a story for people who wonder where God is when it seems that he has left his people. Uh, in this time uh, that, that we're reading about, it was, a, it was a pretty dark time in the history of Israel. And sadly, I believe we're in a pretty dark period of church history right now. So I think it's very relevant for us to see uh, how that God was still moving, even though uh, it seemed to be dark days, it seemed to be dark times. Uh, it was a time where there were no dreams or visions or prophets, and yet God was still working among his people. And so even though we're in a dark period uh, of church history right now, uh, that can be very applicable to us too, so we can see how God moved in this time. It's also a story for people who, when maybe they have uh, some problems going on in their life that attack their faith, they, they begin to wonder, you know, is, is God still there? Is he still around? Is, is, has he just forgotten me? Or, or maybe they begin to doubt their faith in general, and it seems all their problems are just stacking up. Um, you know, it, it's, it is realistic, and I hope you understand this, that people who have real faith have doubts. Um, if you if you have had those, you know Satan will try to use that against you and say you're not a child of God. Children of God can have doubts and they have low periods in their faith and and so um, this is also uh, will answer some of those questions for us. I I really thought about you know as I listened to Naomi and I was reading this, um, we've been asking prayer for Craig Bernard. Their family uh, also lost a loved one this weekend. His wife's mother passed away. He needs a kidney transplant. He has a GI bleed. His parents are in bad shape, and they're having to take care of them. I mean, it just seems like, and, I, and he came to me, and we were praying together and talking about it, and he said, it just seems like, you know, it's just one thing after another after another. And it sounds exactly like Naomi, doesn't it? She just says, well, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and, you know, I, I, the Lord's just dealing bitterly with me at the moment. So we're all going to go through times like that, and in a very practical way, Ruth's going to show us how that even through those things, God is still in control. It's also a story for people who um, wonder if it's worth it to live a life of integrity when they see that, you know, have you ever heard somebody say, well, it just seems like the wicked always prosper and that, you know, God's people who are trying to do the right thing, they always suffer. Uh, well, this, this story will have some answers to that as well. It's also a story for people who think that God cannot use the ordinary things in ordinary lives and ordinary situations to do great things. It's going to be really amazing when you see what comes out of this story. You know that here is this woman from a far country, and yet uh, she's going to be brought in to this family in an amazing way and then going to be in the lineage of David and eventually of Jesus Christ. She'll be a relative, uh, distant relative of Jesus Christ. Isn't that an amazing uh, thing? So I would say the theme of the book is God's sovereignty in providence and redemption. God's sovereignty in providence and redemption. So according to, let's get a little bit of the context. So according to verse 1 of chapter 1, this story takes place, it says, it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. So this is during the time of the judges. That was about a 400-year period. Uh, from about 1500 B.C. to 1100 B.C., the book of Judges comes uh, just before Ruth in our Bibles. And you can see uh, from the very last verse of that book, if you look back over in Judges 21-25, this is the type of, of period that this is taking place. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Does that describe a little bit of the culture that we have today i mean that's that's kind of the time that we're living in um and and so this time of the judges was not the pinnacle of israel's history in fact it was a it was a dark day for israel so it was very dark times the the people would sin and then god would send enemies against them and then the people would cry for help 
And then God would have mercy and he would raise up a judge and he would deliver them. And that pattern continued and it just continued. And um, the people again would rebel and from all outward appearances, um, it, it seemed that the nation itself was just lost. And so the book of Ruth, it gives us a glimpse of some of the things that God was doing during that time period when it looks like it's the worst of times and nothing's going right and all of those things, but yet God was still at work among his people. You can look at uh, the very last verse of Ruth. I said look at the last verse of Judges, so let's go over and look at the very last verse of Ruth. I'm going to give you the end before we start. I'm going to tell you the end of the story for the, before we even get started in the beginning. It says, And Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. So, like I already said, you know, Obed becomes the father of Jesse, and Jesse becomes the father of David, and David is the one who would lead Israel into some wonderful times. Uh, and even though he was a man of war, he prepared the way for uh, what were some very good times in, in Israel. So there's the light at the end of the tunnel. When, when you think God is farthest from you or has even, even maybe, you know, like Naomi's saying, I think, I think God's against me right now. He's, he's dealing very bitterly with me. Even in those times, the truth is, is that God is, is laying foundation stones for his greater purpose in your life. And, and I'll just go ahead and say this. I don't want you to think that what I'm saying is, is, oh, you should know that in the midst of it. Uh, you should always know. There, there's going to be doubts, like I said. But I think when we return to our right mind, we can always look back and see that even though I was going through this really hard period, God was at work. He was laying these foundations in my life for his greater purpose, for my good, and for his glory. Uh, the song that we sang said, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he, he hides a smiling face. So that really sums up the message of Ruth. So we're going to kind of unpack the story first, and this is not a normal style for me. I'm usually more like, you know, one point, the next point. But um, we're just going to kind of unpack the story first and go through and, and see what the story is telling us and what's going on and all of that, and then we'll try to draw some things out from the story and, and see what it's trying to teach us. So first in verses 1 through 5, I'm not going to read them again, but just to kind of sum it up, um, it, we hear the basically a description of the misery of Naomi. So this section, I would title it Sin, Death, and Famine. Sin, Death, and Famine. That's, I mean, I don't really have to unpack that a whole lot, do I? I mean, are any of those things things that you would say, you know what, I want to sign up for that. Um, that's, that's what I want in my life is sin and death and famine. There's a famine in the land of Judah where Naomi and her husband Elimelech and her sons, Malan and Chilion, uh, uh, are, and uh, Naomi knows who is in control of famines. I think uh, that's, a, that's an interesting point that, you know, she's not, she's not in doubt of who's in control of that situation. Leviticus 26, 3 and 4 says, If you walk in my statutes, you observe my commandments to do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and your land shall, shall yield its increase. When the rains are withheld... They are withheld by the hand of God. God is in control of those things. So it's not, Naomi knows that it's not that God has lost control. It's not that, well, God would really like for it to be good for his people, but it, it, God's still in control, and she knows that. Uh, so they, de they decide there's this decision to sojourn in Moab, which is a pagan land with foreign gods, um, and, and this was not a good decision. Now, there's a lot of talk about that. You know, was it, was it necessarily sin for them to leave and go? Probably. Um, they went over and they went into a foreign land. And now God ends up turning all this to good, but it doesn't make it right in the beginning. So they go to a foreign land. They go to Moab. What ends up happening? Well, when you play with fire, when you go to a foreign land, when you get away from God, both of her sons, what happens? They end up marrying these, these foreign women. So they, they marry uh, Moabitess women. And like I said, it's, you know, we're looking at the end of the story saying, well, God turned that to good, but it's still not good in this situation. So they leave and they go to a foreign land, uh, and they, what 
she could feel that the judgment of God had followed her into this land because there's a famine is the reason they go and then they get there and her husband uh, passes away and her sons take these Moabite wives uh, one named Orpah the other named Ruth and then after 10 years and and they don't have children uh, both Malan and Chilean also die so that she's left it says she is left of her two sons and her husband so in this day that would have been just an absolute disaster uh, because these women would have been destitute. They would have really had no way to provide for themselves. They're in a foreign country. Um, it, it's really, it left them in a, in a very bad, very, very bad situation. So because of the famine, they move. So that's the kind of the first section. And I think we see that God, God is setting the stage there to show how he's going to you know, react to us in our lives when we go through times like that. Have you ever had times in your life when you thought, like I said about um, Mr. Craig Bernard, that, that's my friend. Have you ever had those times in your life when you just felt like, you know, it's not just one thing. <laughs> this happened and then this happened and then this happened. Man, I got to have something positive happen. It just seems to be piling up and, and I don't know where God is in all of this. And maybe God seems distant to you because you're in those trials and you're, reach, you're, you're seeking his face and you're trying to reach out, but you don't feel like you're getting an answer. That's the place that Naomi was. And so those first five verses kind of set the stage for us to see that this is, this is the situation that she was in. And it's a pretty bad situation. Um, this, this marriage of her son to foreign wives, the death of her sons, the death of her husband, just blow after blow, tragedy upon tragedy, and we get to verse 6. So in verses uh, 6 through, you know, pretty good ways down in the chapter, and I think it's really interesting that there's so much time spent in this chapter on this section. There's a lot of talk about this section, and what, what happens in this section, I would title this section, Naomi is trying to leave Ruth and Orpah in a foreign land. So she's trying to kind of tell them to stay and herself go back uh, to the land of Judah. But in verse 6, Naomi gets the word that the Lord has visited his people and given them food down in her homeland, so she decides she's going to return to Judah. And her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, they, it seems like they go part of the way with her, but then in verses 8 through 13, she says, y'all need to go back home. So she spends a lot of time trying to persuade them to leave her and go back to her own people. And I think that there's, there's three reasons why probably that the writer devotes so much space to this. And one of them is it puts a big exclamation point on Naomi's misery. So, uh, it, you know, we, we saw that in the first five verses. But when we hear her talk here, she, she really just emphasizes what's going on in her life. She says, why would you even go with me? I don't have any sons in my womb. I don't have a husband. There's no one that's going to be raised up for you to have husbands so you're going to be destitute all your life you know why would you even try to go with me i'm just a i'm just at the lowest of the low why would you tie your wagon to mine you know you need to go back and just start over and she basically says that i hope hope the lord's good to you i hope you can find a husband and that you'll be happy in, in the house of your husband and that god will bless you in that so it just kind of puts a big exclamation point on her her situation that she's in she says i'm too old to have a husband so Nothing's going to change. Um, there's, there's nobody for you. There's nobody for me. Uh, we're, we don't have any sons. We don't have any children. So if they try to be faithful to her uh, and to the name of their husbands, they're going to find nothing but pain. That's what she says. So number one, you know the story of Ruth, and I'm going to do this a lot through this chapter, but we're going to get ahead of ourselves a little bit. Is that really the truth? You know, is, is that how it ends up? Is it that when they go back, there's nothing for them? You know, God had, God had made a way. There's a way that's going to happen. But, but she doesn't see it. You see, she's in the midst of this, and so she's blind to that. She says, I'm telling you, there's no way out. You need to go back home because if you follow me, it's just going to be misery for the rest of your life. There's no way that this can end up good. And I don't know about you, but even saying that, I'm, I'm stepping on my own toes because how many times do we do that as well? We get in a place in our life where we think, there's no way out. Uh, you know, I, I've checked all the options, and, and I've really looked at this. I've analyzed it. There's no way that this is going to turn out in a positive way. And, you know, it, if 
this is um, probably too much anthropomorphism with, uh, with God, but it's almost like God's laughing in heaven saying, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. You think you know all the different ways, but you don't know. And so he, he could almost just laugh at Naomi right here because she's saying, listen, listen, girls, y'all need to go back because if you come with me, this is the way of misery and nothing's going to change. Don't come with me because God is against me. Your life will be as bitter as mine is. But this passage gives us deep insight into the, the bitterness and misery of Naomi and her negative attitude and outlook on life. You see, the people of God, when we're in trials, it's a witness to the faith that's in us. So if we become bitter and have a negative attitude, that's not a good witness of our faith in Christ and our faith in our Lord. And so Naomi here has gotten in a bad way. She has a bad attitude. Have you ever been around somebody like that? You know, it's like Eeyore syndrome. It's just, man, I mean, the rain clouds. Every time you talk to them, all they say is the negative stuff. It's just always negative. It's always, well, you know, Lord's just dealing bitterly with me, and this is going wrong, and that's going wrong, and that's going wrong. Naomi had forgot that she did have some blessings. You know, Ruth's with her, right? <laughs> Orpah's with her at this point. God hadn't left her completely alone, and that's going to be really, really important because when Ruth comes, if Ruth had decided to turn around and go away, Things might have been really bad for Naomi for the rest of her life, but when Ruth comes back with her, God uses that to change both of their situations in a, in a mighty way. So uh, we don't need to have that negative attitude and negative outlook on life, knowing that, that God, he cares for us and, and he'll make a way. So also another thing that I think we're kind of set up for in this section, verses 8 through 13, is that there's... There's an Israelite custom in which, um, in these days, the custom was that when an Israelite husband died, his brother or near relative was to marry the widow and continue the brother's name. That's in Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, if you want to go back and, and check that. But Naomi is referring to this custom in verse 11 when she says that, I don't have any more sons, so I'm out of sons. There's nobody to marry you and, and take care of you and, and continue the family name. So you just need to go back to your people. That's the, that's the lesson there. That's a strange custom for us, right? <laughs> I don't think that would work anymore in our culture, would it? You know, if your brother dies, then you have to marry his wife and, and carry on the family name. It was kind of like, I thought it was really interesting, the, the reaction in the crowd when uh, Brother Guna was up here Wednesday night, and he said, you know, it's the duty of the pastor to, to arrange the marriages, Aren't y'all glad that's not the way it is here? I mean, that would not be good. You, you don't want that to happen, I promise you. Um, it's just a different culture altogether. Well, in this culture, that's the way it worked. If, if a husband died and he was young and had a young wife, then a brother would, would carry on the family name with that wife. And so she's saying, that's not going to happen because there's, I don't have any more sons and there's no hope for me to have any more sons and there's no one that can fulfill this for me now once again i told you i'm going to do this all through this I'm going to get ahead of myself is that the truth no it's not there is a kinsman who's going to be provided who's going to step in and 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 so we we kind of know the end of the story but you just need to understand that's not the truth that's just what naomi tells them so this custom becomes important in in the story but i think the lesson really there is is that she is exaggerating her hopelessness you see and we do that. We're really bad about that. So bad things happen in our life, and we exaggerate our hopelessness. Um, give you a little practical story on that one since it happened yesterday. Watching the Tennessee game. If y'all watched it, you'll know what I'm talking about. So it's a, it's a back-and-forth game. It's really close and all this stuff. So Tennessee just fumbles the ball, and Alabama runs it in the touchdown. And, and I said, that's ball game. <laughs> you know, that's it. I mean, there's still a lot of football left to be played, and there's still a game that's going to go on, but I'm like, that's it, ball game. You know, might as well just wrap it up and take everybody home. Let's go to the locker room. You know, let's just, let's just give up. I was exaggerating my hopelessness <laughs> that, that something good was going to happen. Well, Naomi is the poster child for that. I mean, now, but let's not be too hard on Naomi. Think about what she's going through. In a foreign country, her husband has died. Then they're in the midst of a famine first. That's, that's number one. Secondly, her husband dies. Then both of her sons die, leave her with just two daughters-in-law, destitute, in a famine, in a foreign country. So it's easy for us to kind of pile on Naomi. But really, 
she, she is exaggerating her, her hopelessness. So we can really become so bitter that we can't really see the, the little rays of light that, that do shine in, in our darkness. We, we kind of, we zero in, we put blinders on, like a horse, you know, they used to put the blinders on the horse so the horse focuses on the, the path and not on all the things going around it. Well, in a negative way, sometimes we do that when we get in a trial. We just see the trial. We don't see anything around it. We don't see how God could be working in it. And so we become bitter and negative. And, and I'm going to say this now, and we'll kind of come back to it a little bit later on. It is not okay for God's children to be bitter. It's not. Uh, that, is not a, that is not something that we should ever be as we're going to at times, but it is, it's sin to be bitter about the circumstances that God has providentially placed in our lives. Now, does that mean we have to be happy all the time? No, it doesn't. Nobody's saying that if you're a Christian and you're a believer, you have to say, well, thank you, Lord, I'm so happy that my husband died and my two sons died. Nobody's saying that, but bitterness is different than sadness. Bitterness is a sadness that has taken root, and it has become something that impacts how you process the things around you. And that is very dangerous. When people become bitter, they make worse and worse and worse decisions. So we're not to be bitter. So like we said, we know that it was God that really did preserve a kinsman to continue Naomi's line. And it was God who constrained Ruth to stay with Naomi. But Naomi is so embittered by God's hard providence that she can't see all of that mercy at work in her life. So like we said, it can be easy for us to become bitter in our current circumstances and neglect to see the mercies of God that are either present or, or just right around the corner in our lives. And the last reason I think he spent so much, or the writer of this book spent so much time on this section is to show us Ruth's faithfulness. Um, this is the first kind of passage where we really see the faithfulness of Ruth rise uh, to the top. It says that, um, they're, they're on this journey, and, and Naomi kind of stops, and she says, okay, y'all need to go home. At first, they both argue, and they say, no, we're going with you, right? Well, then she piles it on heavier. She says, listen, you just need to go home. There's no reason for you to stay with me. Well, that was enough for Orpah. She said, okay. She kissed her. She left. But what happened with Ruth? It said, Ruth, instead of kissing her and going her way, she claved to her. She would not let go. She would not give in. She would not... Uh, agree with Naomi to turn around and go back uh, to her homeland. So that's, that's really amazing when you consider Naomi's description of what their future was going to be. Um, you got to remember that also, just like Naomi doesn't know what's going to happen when they go back, Ruth doesn't either. In fact, Ruth probably knows less because this is going to be a foreign land to her. This is not her people. This is not her land. She is a Moabitess of, of the land of Moab, and she's going back with Naomi, so she's probably even more in the dark than Naomi is. And if you heard Naomi's sale pitch, would you sign up for that cruise? You know, If somebody told you, hey, we're going to go through a hurricane, the ship's going to sink, you're going to have to be in a lifeboat, you know, all of these, you'd say, oh, yeah, I'm going to sign up for that. No, you know, that doesn't make any sense. So there's a lot of faithfulness here that Ruth shows towards Naomi that even through all those circumstances, she's willing to go with her and wants to go with her. And those words that you've probably heard in many wedding ceremonies before, entreat me not to leave you uh, or return from following after you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and I'll be buried. Um, all of those things. So the more you, you kind of think about those words, the more amazing they really become. Ruth's commitment to her destitute mother-in-law is really amazing. Uh, it it means leaving her own family. You know, we forget about that. Ruth had a family. I'm, I'm, we don't know about it. We don't know a lot about it or anything, but Ruth had a family that she came from in her homeland. It's leaving her own land as well, like we said. And she's going into what she believes will be perpetual widowhood, childlessness, and just service to Naomi. Um, if she married a non-relative, that would break her commitment to Naomi. So... She's really kind of committing to just going with Naomi and staying with her uh, into an unknown land and an unknown people, new customs, new language, all of those things. And it was a commitment that she said, not only am I going to go with you, but I'm going to die where, where you die. I'm, so even after Naomi goes, she said, I'm staying in your land. 
Isn't that amazing? You would think, well, my commitment's to Naomi, so when Naomi dies, then I'll just return home to my... I'm going to stay with you until you die, but when you die, I'll go home to my people. She didn't say that. She said, I'm going and I'm staying, and I'm going to stay... Even after you die, I'm staying. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. And that's really the most amazing commitment of all of this, is that when she says, your God will be my God. When Naomi said... In verse 13, the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Naomi's experience of God right now was bitterness, and that's what she was uh, putting forth. But in spite of all that, Ruth forsakes all and says, I'm going to follow you, and not only that, but I'm going to commit to this God who you says is dealing bitterly with you. Isn't that an amazing thing? I'm going to commit, even though you're, you're talking all this negative stuff about what God's doing in your life and how bitterly he's dealing with you, that God's going to be my God. What an amazing what an amazing commitment. So we have a picture here, and we're going to show this as we go through the book of Ruth, and we'll see some of these characteristics of Ruth. We're not going to get into that today. That will really come more in chapter 2. But we have a picture of, of, of a, a godly woman in Ruth, and, and a, someone that, especially as young women, and we have a lot of young women in our church, uh, that you could look up to and, and glean from the, the characteristics that Ruth shows of a godly woman. Um, freedom from insecurities and, and comforts of the world, courage to venture to an unknown and strange land, a commitment in the relationships that God had appointed in her life. Um, all of those things we're going to see as we go through the story. And, and so my prayer would be that the young women we have in this church would strive to be like that, be like a Ruth in our day. So then last, uh, the last section of the chapter is Naomi's faith in God. And I will reread this section. This starts in verse 20, or verse 19. Verse 19. And by the way, um, just so you know, these sections in your Bible, some of you probably have this, some of you don't. If you see the little symbol that looks like two lines with a backwards P, it's a paragraph. That means it's a new paragraph. So this chapter, it's the first paragraph is the first section I described to you. The second paragraph is the second section. And then this last one is also... Uh, a separate paragraph. So, so they, <coughs> in this last paragraph, beginning in verse 19, it says, so they, so they too went until they came to Bethlehem. So now that she's tried to get her to go back home, she's refused. They continued their journey. They get to Bethlehem. It came to pass when they were come to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? She'd been gone 10 years. You got to remember that. And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. Why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. So in this last section... One of the things that we see, and this is going to sound really strange, we do see the faith of Naomi. <laughs> and you're saying, now wait a minute. You just said that she's bitter and she's all these things. Well, that's true. You know, she says all this about call me Mara, which means bitter, for the Almighty had dealt bitterly with me. I went away full. So why would you call me Naomi when I've returned again empty? But, but what, what can we look at Naomi and say is a positive? Well, for one thing, there's three things that she clearly believes here. Number one, God exists. She believes in God because she says, God has dealt bitterly with me. I believe God's still there. God exists. Number two, I clearly then not only believe God exists, God is sovereign. She believes in the sovereignty of God. She says, God has dealt bitterly with me. In God's sovereignty, he has dealt bitterly with me. These things are not by chance, in other words. She's not saying, well, the brakes just haven't fallen my way. What she says is, God has dealt bitterly with me. These things came through his hand. So she has some understanding of the sovereignty of God. And she believes that God has allowed the, these, this tragedy and all of these things that has afflicted her, that it came through the hand of God. So there is some faith there, even in the midst of her uh, melancholy and bitterness and all the things that she's struggling with. And so even though she believes that God is and that God is sovereign, what she's struggling with is she's forgetting stories like the story of Joseph. Joseph's story is very similar 
to that of Naomi in some ways. You know, Joseph, he was sold into slavery into a foreign country, right? He was sold as a slave. He was um, falsely accused, thrown in prison. Things were just not going really well for Joseph. And yet God turned all of those things around. And, and you remember Genesis 50, 20. What, what did Joseph say to his brothers when they came back? He said, you meant all of this stuff for evil. I mean, you, you did. Your intentions were not good. You sold me into slavery and all that, but God has used it in a mighty way. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so Naomi, that's the part that Naomi is struggling with. She, she believes in God. God exists. She believes in the sovereignty of God, but she's not seeing the goodness of God in the things that he allows, that his ultimate uh, purpose for us is for our good and his own glory. She has forgotten or has, is not thinking about the, the, the purposes of God and those things that he allows in our life. So, you know, there's, here's some things that she hasn't thought about. Number one, God's taken away the famine. Okay, so what were her big problems? Her big problems were the famine, the death of her husband, and the death of her two sons. Well, already in this story, she's coming home. Why? Because God has provided food again for his people. Now, has she mentioned that at all? Has she said... Thank God for being merciful and providing food in my homeland so I can go home and be with my people. She's not even thinking. She doesn't even mention it. She doesn't even say anything about that. So there's one mercy already. Number two, like we already said, Ruth would not leave her. Ruth stays with her. That's a great blessing in her life. It's going to be probably the key blessing in her life here in the next couple of chapters we'll see. It's going to be the way that God turns all of this around in her life. Um, but she doesn't see that. So there's, there's plenty of things that Naomi could be thankful for and could see mercy in, but she just she doesn't see it. So once again, we, like we said, she has just kind of been blinded uh, by all the things that are going on in her life. You know, the song that we sang says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. That's the part that Naomi's not seeing. The cloud has gotten so dark that she has forgotten that behind it, there's a God who intends good for his people. And, and everything that God wants to accomplish, what happens? God accomplishes his purposes. He, he's not a God that wants to do good and can't. So she is she has, uh, kind of missing out on that part of the story. So now we're gonna, we've kind of looked through the whole chapter. We know the story. We kind of know what's going on here. So what can we glean from this? And some of these are just going to be restating the obvious things that I've already said so we'll try to move through kind of quickly here but number one is of course the sovereignty of God the sovereignty of God God almighty reigns in the affairs of men people who don't believe that I don't know how they live their life um, that is a comforting doctrine when we really understand it God is in control God is not in heaven trying to work things out you know, some people have this view of God that, well, he has a lot of power, but there's just things that are happening, and God's reacting to what happens. That's not the case at all. God is in control. He declares the end from the beginning. So the sovereignty of God is very important for us to understand. Daniel 2.21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those <coughs> who have understanding. Do you know that, that it's not a mistake that Joe Biden is the president of the United States? That's a tough one, <laughs> at least for me. I don't know your politics. But for me, that's a tough one for me to say that's not a mistake. If, if there's power in this world, it is that God has allowed it. He's in, in charge of all of those things. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings, and he sets up kings. That authority comes through the hand of God. Now, that's like I said, sometimes that's hard for us to understand. He rules nations. He rules families. His providence extends. I love this quote. This is a quote, so I'm going to give credit to it. But It says, His providence extends from the U.S. Congress to your kitchen table. Isn't that amazing? Like, he's in charge of the really big things of life. Even the U.S. Congress is not outside of his control. And yet, the little things in your life that you sit around your kitchen table and worry about, that you discuss with your wife that you discuss with your children god's in control of that as well um where we're you know wherever the, that we doubt 
uh, it's because of our lack of understanding, not because of God's lack of control or, or sovereignty or providence in our lives. Daniel 4.35, um, none can stay his hand. You know that text. There's so many that we could turn to. He is in, in control of all things. And Naomi understood this to some extent, but, but really had kind of lost sight of the fact that God, even in those negative things, and, and we do the same, like we said in the beginning, that even in those negative things that he allows, that God can work through those things in our lives for our good. And we have to trust him. That is the, the difficult part about faith. Now, secondly, is God's providence in affliction. So kind of taking the big picture of sovereignty and bringing it down to a little finer point, God's providence in affliction. God's providence is sometimes very hard because the truth is God had dealt very bitterly with, with Naomi, right? I mean, if we look at that, there's, that's some pretty tough situations that Naomi went through. And if we're honest about it, we would say that. There, there is some difficulty there that he allowed in her life, but it's going to bring about much greater good. But um, perhaps, you know, somebody would say, well, the reason why that God allowed that in her life is because their sin and leaving and going into Moab. That could be. Um, sometimes that is true that, you know, because of our faithlessness and because of our straying away, uh, God in his providence will allow things in our life to bring us back to where we should be. Now, that does fit this passage, right, in a, in a very real way, because what happens in the end? She comes back home, you know, after much heartache and much trouble. So for young people especially, I would say this, if those things are happening in your life, I do think that it's 100% the right thing to do to do some self-examination and say, well, this is happening and this is happening and this is bad and this is bad. Am I where God wants me to be? Am I, am I in God's will? Because God could be trying to get your attention through his providence in your life and the way that he's allowing these things to direct you back into the path that he would have you to go. So I would say don't be blind to those things. Um, make sure that you understand that God does use in his providence those things and does allow things in our life to direct us. Uh, let's go to James uh, chapter 1 in the New Testament, James chapter 1. <clears throat> James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So that's a really strange verse there, verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. That sounds like well, you should be really excited about the fact that things are not going well. That's, that's Like we said earlier, that's not the meaning of the text. What the text means is that there can be joy through trials because we understand if we're patient and we understand that God is doing something in our life, we can have joy. Joy is different than happiness, by the way. That's not meaning you should, you know, like I said, just be happy that all these negative things are happening in your life, but you can have joy even in dark times. Joy is different than happiness. But he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And the reason he says that is because that is evidence that God is at work in your life. Isn't that interesting? You can have joy through those things because that is just evidence showing that God is at work. But then he says... Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect or complete or whole and entire, wanting nothing. That doesn't mean you're going to get to some, that God is doing this in your life and you're going to be perfect at the end. That word perfect means complete, that he is completing something in your life. He's bringing you to a more mature place in your life. Now, my little note in my Bible here, and, and when I preached through this passage, I said, what I called this section was don't tap out. So like if you ever watched MMA or wrestling or anything like that, you know, and they do these submission holds and they put somebody in a painful position. And if you can't take it anymore, you got to tap and say, okay, I've had enough. I give up. I'm done. Well, what James is really saying here is don't tap out of the trial. There's a lesson to learn. Go through the trial, understand the trial, Understand what God is, is doing in your life about it, and you're going to learn a lesson from that. Let patience have her complete work, her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. 
So that's really what uh, Naomi is in the midst of here in our passage. Um, it makes it really makes this story an encouraging story. We've talked about all these calamities that have come on Naomi and all the bad things that are happening in her life, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and spoil it for you. Ruth is a very encouraging story. It's gonna be really great, and we're even gonna see a, a just a like a little portion of that right at the end of chapter one. But if uh, if Ruth is is brought into the family and all of those astonishing things that are gonna happen, and she becomes uh, the the grandmother of David and ancestor to jesus christ doesn't that th don't you think that god can work in your circumstances too this is a pretty amazing thing that he does in this set of circumstances so god's providence in affliction third god's good purposes for his people jeremiah 29 11 says for i know the thoughts that i think towards you saith the lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end you know when you need to quote that verse? You need to quote that verse not when everything is going really well in your life. Is it easy to believe that God's purposes for your life are good when everything's going your way? <laughs> yes. We'd say, I believe that. Yeah, that's right. You know, I just got a promotion at work and all my family is healthy and everything's going my way and I've got plenty of money to pay my bills and all of those things. For I know that the thoughts that you think towards me, saith the Lord, are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give me an expected end. You'll quote it with gusto at that point. The problem would be, in the midst of a dark trial, can you say, for I know the thoughts that you think towards me are good and not of evil to give me an expected end. That's a, that's a different thing. And that's where Naomi is finding herself now. She needs to go back to that truth. God's good purposes for his people. Who would have imagined that in the worst of all times, in the period of the judges, a bad time in Israel, a bad time in the life of Naomi, bad time in their family, three deaths in the family within 10 years, in a foreign land, in the midst of a famine, all of those things going on that God was quietly moving in all of those tragedies in a single family to prepare the way for the greatest king of Israel. Isn't that amazing? I mean, he didn't say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do these great things with this great family whose everything's going right for them and all of that, and that's how I'm going to prepare the way for the greatest king that Israel will have. He did it through all of these trials and through working in the life of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, who we'll be introduced to in the next chapter. All right, and the last one is a foundation for faith. A foundation for faith. When we talk about the sovereignty of God and about his providence in our life, it is a foundation for our faith. When we learn that we as believers, when we trust in the goodness and the sovereignty of God and the mercy of God in our lives, then that is a foundation for our faith that we can then leave our family. And, you know, when Brother Guna said that, you know, it was, it was opening to me. Um, it is every time I hear about things like that, that in America, you know, our faith comes easy. I, I don't know if there's a better, better way to say that or not. I'm trying to think of a better way to say it, but our faith comes easy, right? They have to make hard decisions. You know, it, following Christ costs them. It doesn't cost us a whole lot. If you were to go to your work tomorrow and say, man, I, you know, I, I thought I believed in the Lord, but I didn't, but I, I believe in Jesus Christ, and, and I want to follow Jesus Christ, it really wouldn't affect probably your finances. It probably wouldn't affect your job. It definitely probably wouldn't affect your family, any of those things. If they do that, it'll call, it could cost them their family, their finances, their job, their social. All of those things could be changed because of their faith in Christ. Well, for us, it's easy. But when we trust in the sovereignty of God and in his providence in our lives, that's a foundation for faith that can leave family and can leave jobs and can leave their homeland and go somewhere else and follow their mother-in-law, things like that in our own lives. We can find the freedom and courage and strength to step out in faith because we understand the sovereignty of God and his providence in our lives. Um, Romans 15 verse 4 says, For whatsoever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope that's the esv version that last part is what i wanted that we might have hope so we read this story about naomi and we understand the providence of god in her life and we see the example of that and we see the example in the life of joseph and we see the example in the life of david and we see the life uh, the example in the life of paul and all of these biblical characters and that gives us reason for hope 
and because of the encouragement of the scriptures. And then in that same chapter in verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit ye may abound in hope. So it's through that faith in the sovereignty of God then that we have hope. So whether in this life or in the next, it will be worth it all. Our God determines the end from the beginning. And so because of that, and did you notice that I said whether in this life or the next? In, in this particular case, in Naomi's situation, we're going to see all of this turn to some really good in her life. But this is kind of a somber thing, and I'm not going to end on this, but I've got to say it. Did you know that that's not guaranteed? There is no guarantee that God says that in this life he's going to turn everything around in your life and your circumstances are going to get better. What he has said is that God may deliver us from trials, but he will absolutely deliver us through trials. Now that's hard, that's hard to swallow because what that means is that my reward may not ever come in this life. It might just be in the life to come. But God, he may deliver us from trials in this life, but he will always and will certainly deliver us through those trials, those same trials in our life. That is the hope that we have. So let's go back and close with the, the hope that we see right at the end of the chapter as we prepare to go into chapter 2. The book of Ruth, the, the chapter 1, the very last verse says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came into Bethlehem. Now what time do they get there? So remember, you've been in a famine and all this stuff. They get there at the beginning of the barley harvest. That's going to be really important in the story. That's the first little, you have all this darkness and negativity and, and you know, Naomi's you know, spewing all this bitterness through the whole chapter one. And at the end, it's kind of like you see this ray of sunshine pop out over the clouds. It says they're getting there just at the right time. And do you think that's coincidence? <laughs> do you think that God made them travel there? And well, it just so happened that it was at the, the barley harvest. No, that's intentional. That's, that's purposed by God that they got there at just the right time. Um, nothing, none of those things is by chance. Um, I think I've told this story before, but you know, we, we, me and Nathan left here, and Brother Jeff and a bunch of people left from Georgia going to the preacher's meeting in Cincinnati. We're driving completely different routes, left at different times and all that, and we literally pulled into the driveway of the hotel back to back. I mean, just pulled in. So we're getting out, and we're all talking about it on the way in the hotel. And Brother Jeff said, man, isn't that amazing in the providence of God that all those different routes and everything, we pulled in at the exact same time, and the lady behind the desk at the hotel said, oh, good grief. You know, she was, she was not buying that for a second. So you know Brother Jeff, he just started in on her. Well, so you don't believe in the sovereignty of God? And blah, you know, he just he went into her. But, you know, it, isn't it amazing how even in those little details, sometimes we get a little glimmer. We just get a little glimpse. God's at work. He, he, he got them there at just the right time. And that's going to be really important in the story when we go forward. So they get there right when they're supposed to get there in the beginning of the barley harvest. So my prayer for us is that as we go through this book, we'll see ways that we can come to trust more in the sovereignty of God and how we're to respond to that in our lives because we see a good example of how to respond to that in our life in both Ruth and Boaz and, and even Naomi eventually. Hope those things have been a blessing to you this morning.